and we've had a little bit of rain. That's a good thing. It's going to keep raining, I think. That's all right. They always say by the end of summer we'll be wishing for it, so we better enjoy it while we got it. We've got new sprigs of grass growing out in our front yard. We seeded and Misty got hay down the other day, so we're enjoying seeing the growth that the Lord's given us. I'm going to open with a word of prayer. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you today. Lord, thankful for this opportunity to be in your presence, Lord, to be in your house. Lord, we're thankful for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that you put inside of us. God, we pray that we can continue to do your work, Lord, that we can praise, honor, worship, and, and glorify your name, Lord, the, the way we should, Lord, and everything that we would say and do would, would bring honor to you. God, we're thankful for what you've done so far this morning. The words that we've heard and the songs of praise that were sung, Lord, we're thankful. God, we just pray now that you would open our hearts and minds, Lord, to the rest of the service of what you would have for us, God. Lord, that you would be the leader and director of our lives. God, we just pray for those that didn't make it this morning for whatever reason. God, we, we pray for the lost and the sick. Lord, that you would touch their hearts. Lord, wrap your arms around them and give them strength. Lord, we just love you and thank you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot of good songs sang this morning. We could probably just leave now because they covered about all of it. Um, but great, I, I love to worship and praise God, and he loves it when we worship and praise him. So anybody that ever has anything on their heart that wants to sing a song or read a poem or just something they heard, come speak from your heart because God loves when we speak from the heart, and he knows our heart. I had a message put on me this morning, and I was nervous, because Anita texted me last night, and she's like, you got anything yet? And I'm like, no, I don't have anything yet. <laughs> I hope it comes soon, and I hope it comes fast, uh, but no, I don't have anything yet. I woke up this morning early, about 5 o'clock, and I tried to go back to sleep for a while, and I tried to fight it, and I, my mind was just running with different things. It's something that I heard the other day I couldn't get out of my head, and it was about fallow ground. And the definition of fallow ground is land that has been plowed and set up for seed but not sown. It's been turned over but not planted. And one thing I wrote down that the Lord put on my heart is why are we preparing ground and not using it. And that's been hard on my heart because I feel like the Lord gives us a lot of opportunities that we take for granted or misuse or don't use at all. And so when we talk about fallow ground and, and the parable of the sower and all these things, God talks a lot about farming, I believe, because back then if you didn't farm, you relied on a farmer. The same way is today. If you don't farm or grow your own things, you're relying on farmers to grow food that you eat so that you can survive. And so I believe when God 
gave his words about farming, and when he talks in parables about farming, he was talking to the masses because farmers are important. And it was relatable to what a lot of people were doing. He got down on our level. He wasn't talking in words that we couldn't understand. He was talking to the common folk. He wanted to get down with us and something that we could relate to. And so when we talk about fallow ground and why we don't use it, I'm going to start in Jeremiah just for a second. Jeremiah chapter 4, he talks about fallow ground. Jeremiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nation shall bless themselves in him, and him shall they glorify. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Bruce DeWeese has been a mentor for me, and he talks a lot about keeping your hands to the plow. God calls us to keep our hands to the plow and never look back, because you, looking back is useless. should be always with your hands on the plow and moving forward, never taking your hands off the plow, meaning that you should always be about the Lord's business and what the Lord has on your life and what you should be doing to glorify the kingdom of God. In the youth song, it talked about, I hope that they see him in me. I hope they see him in the words I speak, in the songs I sing, in the actions that I do. And I can tell you that I continuously pray that for me and my family that the Lord has chosen to use us and that we could continue to be used and that he would continue to anoint us, not for our glory, but for his. Amen? Because when we do things according to God's will, it will bring him glory. And only when we can truly be used, we have to get ourselves out of the way and hope that people don't see us, but they would see him. I don't stand up here because I've got a lot of words of wisdom, and my wife can confirm that, that I don't have a lot of words of wisdom. But God gives me words to say, and it sounds way better than I could sound on myself. And so when God starts speaking and he's asking you to, to step out, he's going to give you the things to say. He's going to give you the actions to do. The prayer that you should be praying is, God, I want you inside of me so strong that people wouldn't see me, that they would see you in the things that I do. I pray for the fact that God can do so much bigger things than I could ever lay my hands on, that it would unbelievably and undoubtedly be God doing the work and not me. But we have to be willing to, to use the resources that God has gave us. And we've all heard it said, God knows your heart. And I believe that the heart is the fallow ground that he's talking about. We have to soften our hearts so that we can listen to the Lord. We have to soften our hearts to stay pliable so that the Lord could use us in a way that he might want to. 
We have to soften our hearts for the people around us because without the softening of the heart, we have a hard heart. And that's not what God calls us to have. He says, when you're born again in Jesus Christ, I will give you a new heart. One made of flesh and not of stone. So the question might come, what is so hard about allowing God to plow your heart? Well, when you get rid of a heart of stone and you get a heart of flesh, it's susceptible to injury. It's susceptible to the cruelty of this world because you can tell people that are emotional and they say, well, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and they act emotionally. But that's not always God. Because see, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells in us and we become a temple for the Holy Spirit. So when we plow our hearts, when, when we're talking about plowing fallow ground and softening our hearts, we become moldable to something that God could use us for. I'm going to flip over to Hosea chapter 10 in verse 12. It says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and reach and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude they mighty men. Whenever you open up your heart to allow God in, you've opened up a lifestyle of change. Because it doesn't say whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and he gives you a new heart that you stay the same as what you were before. It says, I have put in you a new creation that you would put off the old and become new in me. So whenever we become new, we've allowed God into our heart and he's created a new heart in us. That that fallow ground is now being used for something profitable. That we could allow God to sow words and people into our heart. It says, engraft the word of God inside of you. That means let it go inside of you and learn it and memorize it and meditate on it so that our actions and our words might resemble something godly. I'm getting to Acts chapter 8. I just want to talk about a couple men that had fallow ground that was not being used and how God planted a seed inside of them. And how when we use fallow grounds for the benefit of the kingdom of God, the ends are limitless. The things that we can do, the hearts and minds of different people that we can affect are limitless. Whenever you have a heart that would truly seek after God, what you can do, what you can see, what you can feel becomes limitless because we serve a God that does not live inside of a box. We serve an all-knowing and all-powerful God, an all-loving God, an all-merciful God. And he's all God in all kinds of ways. There's no parameters. As humans, we want to define who God is, and we want to put limitations on what he can and can't do. I, for one, am not going to stand in front of God and say, you can't do that. 
Because who am I? He made me. He created me. Job, whenever he was sick and hurting, he said, let me talk to God and I'll tell him why I don't deserve this. And we all know how that ended up. God told him, he said, do you know the grains of sand or how deep the ocean is? And he gave all these things and the listings of things that only God would know. And Job humbled himself. But I'm going to start in Acts 8, 26. Acts 8, 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia at eunuch, a and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem for worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. I want to point out, first of all, that when the angel appeared to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south, the way that it go down from Jerusalem, he arose and went. He had a heart seeking after God already. He was a man that was seeking to do God's business. So when the Lord sent an angel to Philip and said, Arise and go, he got up and went. How many of us are that pliable today that the Lord said, Hey, you need to go talk to this person in St. Louis. Get up and go. How many of us would go? That would be awful tough, right? So, when he was returning and sitting in the chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He's reading this scroll and Philip's like, Hey man, you're reading it, but are you getting it? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So the eunuch says, man, I can't understand this. Come up and help me. In verse 32, it says, The place of scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or some other man? I know this is kind of confusing, but I don't like to leave out scripture. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I believe that the Spirit had fell on this eunuch, and he realized what he needed to do in reading this scripture, that he wanted to be baptized, and he wanted to take a step closer. Are our ears open to what the Lord is saying, and what the Lord might have on our lives, that we could be just going down a road and see some water, and be like, I need to get baptized. That's what God's telling me to do. Did they see it and think it and said it? And it says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
This eunuch is just riding along. It's not a, a coincidence. God sent Philip for a purpose. When God sends you somewhere, don't think it's coincidence. God is sending you places for a purpose because you have a purpose on your life. Whenever you think that and get down and lowly and lonely and think that I don't even know what my purpose is, start seeking God and you will find your purpose. Because God has a purpose for you because he made you. If he didn't have a purpose for you, he would have never have made you. God doesn't do things by accident or just because. He has a defined will and a purpose that will be accomplished. In this purpose, he used Philip because he knew Philip would listen, and he went to the eunuch, knowing, knowing that the eunuch was ready to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. So Philip, not taking it lightly, and knowing the word of God, and knowing how to do God's work, asked him the question first. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou may get baptized. But you have to know Jesus Christ and accept him as your personal savior before you can be baptized and become anew. Because they're two separate things. Next I'm going to start in chapter 9. And I'm going to talk about Saul. I heard one time somebody tell me, you know, you, you hit on a lot of Bible stories, but you never really explain them. Not everybody knows what's going on. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true, because I was that person. They would say, everybody knows the story of. Yeah, everybody besides me, I'm sitting here, have you read this thing? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that story sounds great. Good job. Um, so I want to talk about this story. It's the conversion of Saul to the apostle Paul. So starting in Acts 9, verse 1, it says, And Saul, yet breathing and threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Because Saul sought out people who believed and killed him. That was his job. That's what he wanted to do. So you can imagine the transformation that's about to take place. In verse 2 it says, And desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, believers of God, any of this way, whether they were man or woman, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. So he was going to take prisoners. In verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Some of us have been in this position that Saul is currently in. Lord, you've got me. I understand that you're all powerful, Lord. I understand that you've brought me to my knees for a reason. I understand that my back's against the wall for a reason. I understand that I have hit rock bottom for a reason, now you've got my attention because I've got nowhere else to look. God, you've got me. What would you have me do? So Paul, not even being a believer, has now seen God and heard Jesus talk to him and has humbled himself and said, what would you have me do? 
because I'm willing to change. You've got my back against the wall, and I'm willing to change. I pray that not everybody has to get to rock bottom or get cornered before they start seeking God. But I pray that if that's what it takes to get somebody to convert from sinner to a follower of Christ, that that's what happens. I would pray bad on nobody, but some people, that's what it takes to get their attention, that they would listen, that they would have to have a near-death experience or lose somebody close to find God. Sometimes that has to happen. So Paul is in this spot, and he's saying, Lord, you've got me. You've got me. So instead of sulking and realizing that there was another power that was more powerful than him, he asked the right question. Lord, what would you have me do? So a lot of times I, I feel like we're giving God a lot of lip service and our heart's not truly in it. So when I talk about fallow ground, when we come here on Sunday and your heart gets plowed and it turns the soil and it's ready to be planted, and then we go back out into the world, it gets forgotten about. And we're not seeking anymore like we were on Sunday. And the ground starts to grow weeds, and it starts to become useless ground. Or do we take that new plowed ground that we found on Sunday, and Monday morning we're cultivating it. We're loosening up even more, and we're turning it again, and we're preparing it for seed. If God turns your heart, keep seeking Him. If He's asking you to follow Him, follow Him. A lot of times when we start creating disciples, we're like, yeah, God is good. Go. And we never check on them. And we never ask if they need help. And we never follow up to see how they're fallow ground. See if it's turned back fallow. To see if it's still plowed. To see if they're planting seeds. And they're allowing God into their heart to do a work that they never could do. See, Philip was there. Philip was there. He had allowed God into his heart. And his heart was not fallow ground. It had been plowed. And Philip was waiting for the seed. And he was waiting for a job for God to give him. And God gave him a job and he went. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we've plowed our heart and we've spent time in prayer and in word and we've cultivated the land and we're ready for seeds. And then God gives us a job and we're like, I don't want that one. So the ground starts to dry out. All that moistened soil that's been turned to the top now starts to dry out and then weeds start to grow back. Not that it's not plowable again, but we've missed an opportunity to grow something profitable for the kingdom of God. Philip didn't miss his chance. He knew what God wanted him to do, and he went out and did it with the best of his ability. And guess what? Now there's a eunuch that is saved. Whether you want to admit it or not, when you become a child of the one true king and you accept Jesus Christ is your Savior. You now have a job to do, and that is cultivating souls, and that is winning souls for the kingdom of God. That's what we're made to do. So Saul, with his back against the wall, setting at rock bottom, 
in verse 6, and he said, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Proof right there that when God is doing a work in you, no matter how little or how big people around you will realize that something is going on, they can feel a stirring. Amen? It's what you do with the stirring that develops into a work. If you leave it a stirring, it will never produce anything. But if you turn it into a work, it will start producing and it will start yielding things. So these men heard a voice, but they see nobody. And all of a sudden, Saul gets up and he's blind. And these men led him to the next town. In verse 9, and he was three days without sight and neither eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. Ananias was in tune with God because when God spoke to him, he realized who it was. And he said, I'm here. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judah for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Do we ever think sometimes that God is just working on one side and we don't realize that he's working on the other? We only see one side of it, right? That's our side. We're human. We can't see both sides of the thing. So whenever God is calling you to do something, this story is proof that you should know that he's preparing the other side for your work. Because God will accomplish his works, he tells us. So not only is he working in you, but he is so simultaneously working wherever he's going to send you so that they are prepared to receive you and receive God and the things that God would have you do. So really, all you have to do is play follow the leader. That's not that hard, right? Sometimes it is. The kids beat me a lot of times when you talk about Simon Says, but they're better listeners than what I am. But we talked about that this morning in Sunday school too, how pride gets in our way, right? Pride likes to step in and say, oh man, you're going to look crazy doing that. But we can imagine what Noah looked like, right? And all the things that he heard and his family and what they went through. Because a lot of times, anymore, the word radical is used in a bad way. But I think we need a lot more radical Christians today because he says we are supposed to step out, we are supposed to be a light, we are supposed to be set apart, we are supposed to be put up on a hill. You start following God, you're going to stand out. We talked about, well, we talked about working with women, but I'm not going to go too far into that this morning because that's a dangerous topic. But it, she talked about a lady that worked among a bunch of ladies and how she stood out because she never said anything bad about anybody else. 
And so she was there, but she wasn't adding to the gossip and she wasn't doing things that the Lord would not have her do. And she stood out because she was obeying God. So a lot of times we have to be prepared that we will stand out whenever we're obeying God. But we're going to stand out in a good way and it's going to bring a good thing. Even though, as Paul will find out, that doing the work of the Lord is not always the best in the sight of the world. But Paul had the understanding and he knew that the rewards for doing God's work was far greater than any punishment he could get here on earth. Amen? I think a lot of times we lose a vision and doing God's work becomes a burden and not a blessing. But whenever God calls you to do something, he's entrusting heavenly kingdom work in your possession and he's trusting that you will take care of it. He's asking you to be a part of something that is so much bigger than you could ever be a part of by yourself. He had called Saul here. And he had called Ananias. In verse 13 it says, And then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Paul was a feared man because he would kill you if you believed in God. Verse 14, And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul later on says, Count it a blessing that I'm sitting here in jail, for I do the work of the king. We're going to get persecuted. There's going to be bad times. But whenever we're doing the work of God, there's a blessing in it. That blessing might be eternal life, and it might come sooner than later if we're doing the work of God. But eternal life is the goal, and that's the hope. That's the end result, that we have everlasting life through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Ananias. Not unwilling to do his work, but was like, my gosh, do you know who you picked? Like, do you, you know who you chose, right? Like, this is Saul, this dude's bad. Like, this is a bad dude, are you sure? And God says, yes, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. In verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in thy way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And he received his meat, he was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound into the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving 
that this is very Christ. What are your works proving? What are the things that you're saying proving? Are they proving things of this world? Are they proving yourself? Or have you got your goals set on a higher matter? Have we got our priorities lined up in the way that everything that we would say and do might resemble the kingdom of God? That's the question I ask you today because I ask that question to myself a lot. Because Christians were looked at, were mocked, were ridiculed for being judgmental and hypocritical. That's what we hear all the time is how hypocritical we are. But I never said that I was perfect. And I don't come here to judge anybody but to share the love of Jesus Christ because that's what God has given me to do. To seek out souls and to save through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So are we listening today? Are we listening to what God would have for us to do? And we'll go back to the fallow ground. Are we got our hands to the plow and are we plowing our hearts, softening our hearts for a job just to let them turn to fallow ground? Or are we keeping these soils cultivated that God might come along and plant seeds and give us things to do that we might be a Philip to help save a eunuch or that we might be an Ananias that would come along and help the apostle? I ask you today, how are we listening? Are we giving it our all? Are we doing things that might glorify the kingdom of God? That God might be happy that one day that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Are we spending our time trying to build ourselves up that we might be better in the sight of other people? It's a tough battle. And the scale's weighted to one side, I can guarantee you. But God give us the promise that everything that we would do here on earth would be rewarded in heaven when it's his work. That nothing that you would do or that you would say to the glorification of the kingdom of God would go unrewarded. That he will note everything. But you're not doing it for yourself or for your salvation because salvation is a free gift. But you're doing it to help save other people that they might know that it's a free gift. That you can spend your time building people up instead of tearing people down. That you can stay away from conversations about other people and not run them down. And to be a light in this world that somebody might look after you because they feel confident in the decisions that you make because you're listening to God and you're actually allowing Him to make the decisions for you. They just can't see it because they don't know God yet. Would the things that come out of your mouth on a daily basis glorify God? Would your actions glorify God? These are tough tough questions these are things that we have to concentrate on and that we have to focus on and that we have to work on because it doesn't happen overnight and if you're battling sin in your life as I am as well the fight is on because I'm not willing to give up and I'm not willing to cave in because I've got God on my side and he says that he will be with me through everything and that he is my light and he is my strength and he is my shepherd. 
He's won the war. All I got to do is stand beside him while we fight these battles. Because he promises that he will stand beside me. If you feel like you have no purpose or you have no goal, you don't know where life is taking you, seek God. You still might not know where life is taking you because I never planned on being up here. But you will know that you have God on your side. And you will know that he is preparing you. And he, you know that he is preparing the place that you're going and the people that you're seeing. Because he is in you doing a work and you're allowing it. God wants to do a work in all of us. He wants to do a work in us. Saul was on his way to take capture the very people that he would turn into. And God appeared to him and Saul submitted to the will of God. Are you willing today to submit to the will of God in your life and the effects are far greater than you could ever imagine? The effects will not only happen to yourself, it will happen to your family, it will happen to your kids, it will happen to your friends. If we get enough people following the true will of God on their lives, you will see a change in this community. And this community will spill out into this county, and this county into this state. And before you know it, we're going to see one of God's greatest promises that he said, if you will turn away from your sin and you will seek my face, I will heal your land. And that can happen today, but it starts with unfollowed ground. You've got to plow it. You've got to soften it and allow God to seed it and to water it and to give it increase. Because you are nothing without it. You are nothing without God. He is everything. He is where you will get your strength. He is where you'll get your tools. He is where you'll get your words. Because God is all sufficient and he will give you everything that you need. And not only will he give you everything that you need, he's already paved a way for eternal life. You've just got to choose to walk the path because he's preparing a room for you right now if you make that decision. If you accept Jesus Christ, he is already adding a room to that mansion. And it's got your name on it. And you will never die. You will never, ever Die, you will live on forever, everlasting life. But those of us that follow God, we've got work to do. It doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop at church. It leaks out into the afternoon. It leaks into tonight and tomorrow. It's your everyday life. It's what you continue to focus on. Yes, we've all got jobs to go. Well, most of us got jobs to go to tomorrow. But I implore you, don't serve your job. Serve your God and allow your job to be a service to you. That it would fund your house. That it would feed your kids. But use it to do the work of God. Because he says, I will provide everything. Seek me and I will provide everything for you. 
Seek me wholeheartedly. He doesn't want 50% because I could promise you whenever I'm praying for something and I'm crying out to God, I don't want 50% of it. I want all of it. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want 50%. He doesn't want one day out of the week. He wants seven days out of the week. He created seven. He wants seven. It doesn't stop for one hour on Sunday. It's 24 hours on Sunday. It's 24 hours on Monday and Tuesday. Let your body be the temple that he calls it to be. It's a temple for the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is allow God to work. A lot of the times I step in the way of God doing something great. And he's like, scoot over here. I got this. Scoot up. Come on. Get out of my way so I can do something great. That's something I've got to work on because I feel like I can do it. If you would, please stand with me and we'll dismiss. We're going to open up the altars. And I believe that the purpose of this time is to allow people to reflect on their lives, to take inventory of what they've been doing, to take count for what they might do tomorrow. Today is that pivotal time where there might not be a tomorrow and yesterday is already gone, so let's live in the now. Now is the time for you to accept your salvation in Christ that you might have forever. Because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, tomorrow turns into forever. Because tomorrow it doesn't matter what happens. You've got the one thing that matters, and that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. That we might yield to what He would have for us, not only today, but to tomorrow, and to build on it, and to step out in faith a little bit here, and to let it come down to bigger faith here, and all of a sudden we'll be doing works and glorifying the kingdom of God. Amen? I pray today that if you don't know where you're going, or if you don't like where you're going, Come and change it. There are people praying for you right now. There are things changing right now. Lives are being changed as we ask God to come in. And we're giving up little pieces of our life here. And we're giving up pieces of our life here. And we're allowing God to take control. Now is the time to allow God to take control. Your rewards are eternal. Now is the time.